Come on and never everybody will be happy over there, over there. Yes, we'll Yes, and we will shout and sing his praises through the never-ending ages. Everybody will be happy over there. There we'll meet the one who saved us and who kept us by his and who brought us to that land so bright and fair. We're going to praise his name forever as we look up on his face. Everybody will be happy over there. Come on and everybody will be happy over there, over there. Yes, we'll be happy over Come on, we're going to shout and sing his praises through the never. Come on, y'all, look happy. Everybody will be happy over there. Come on, and everybody will be happy over there, over there. Yes, we'll be happy over Yes, and we're going to shout and sing his praise through the never-ending ages. Everybody One more time. Come on. Yes, and you know that everybody will be happy over there, over there. Yes, we'll be happy over Yes, and we're going to shout and sing his praises through the never-ending ages. Everybody will be happy over there. Remain standing and repeat after me. New self-discipline. The discipline to do the thing. I don't want to do when they need to be done, even when it is painful to do them, knowing that discipline for the moment is often painful, but afterwards the Holy Spirit produces in me love, power, and self-control. You may be seated in the presence of our God. Once again, we have become the express benefactors of another manifestation of his marvelous grace. Truly, God has been good to us, certainly better to us than we've ever dared to be to ourselves. And it's just so wonderful to know that the God we serve, he's not good some of the time. He's not good most of the time, but mama used to say he's a show enough God, show enough good all the time. And if you're visiting with us this morning, no strangers in the house, just friends whom we have not met. We're truly thankful to God for another soul that has been added to the body of Christ. 
We're glad to have Sherry Russell in the house. Sherry, will you please stand up in the back? Stand up, Sherry, so everybody get to know you. This is our new sister in Christ. Amen, amen. You all get to know her after service, and you all encourage her in the Lord. I'm always encouraged when I see our young people working in the worship service. It's always good to see Brother Freelon, Xavier, up presiding over the Lord's table. Proverbs 22 and verse 6, the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he won't depart from it. And really, when you look at that scripture in Proverbs 22 and verse 6, it's really a scripture that deals with horticulture or it deals with botany. It's the idea of a gardener taking a rose. And as that rose begins to grow and develop, when it starts growing or moving in the wrong direction, he'll come and get a pole and a string and he'll tie the rose limb against that pole so that it will grow in the direction that God intends for it to grow. And notice now you have to do that with the sapling while it is pliable, while it is young, while it is flexible. You have to mold and you have to develop and you have to guide that child in the way God would have that child to go. And you have to do it while the child is young. My mama used to say you can't do anything with trees but cut them down. But while that child is a young sapling, if you want that child to be faithful in worship, then you got to mold that child by being an example to that child of what a faithful worshiper is. If you want that child to be committed to the Lord, then you got to mold that child in the direction God would have that child to go by being a faithful and committed member yourself. You cannot teach a child or lead a child to go in the direction that you are not going. Somebody said children are great observers, but they are poor interpreters. They look at what we do, and many times when they interpret what we do, they interpret it the wrong way. I'm not trying to brag on my children, and I know you all can say the same thing about your children, but uh, Janae and Amber, they follow Debbie and I example. My daughter, Janae, she loves getting up early in the morning to come to worship. Sometimes she beats me getting up. I never have to go to her room and say, Janae, Janae get up. It's time to go to worship. Sometimes she comes and say, Daddy, you ready? Because she has been developed. She has been taught. It has been placed in her spirit, in her heart, to have a desire to worship God. I don't have to beg my children to be in the worship services. They know this is where God wants them to be. Why? Because even before they were born, I would pray over my wife's womb and I would talk to my children while they were still in her womb and I would pray for them that they would develop and grow and be what God would have them to be. And when they were babies, when they were first able to come to church, we made sure they were in every service because we were trying to develop for them a thirst, a hunger 
a desire to want to serve God. And hopefully, Lord willing, when we are dead and gone, our children won't come to church because we made them come to church, but they will come to church because they have an appetite for God. I've never had to tell my children, you go into church. They have a, a, a tradition of wanting to go to church. And we have to instill that in our children. Bible says they may stray away, but if you put something in them, they won't stay away because the world is pulling at our children. The story is told about a young man who got lost in the woods. And this young man didn't know how to make it back to civilization. He didn't know which direction to go. He was lost. And then as he began to walk through the woods, he saw a sewage. And in the midst of that sewage, he saw a lily. And he said, I must be close to civilization because there's sewage here. And so civilization can't be too far away. And so the man, the young boy, began to look at the lily. And then the lily began to talk to the young boy. And the young boy started talking to the lily and said, Lily, as beautiful as you are, you got a lot of nerves to be growing in this cesspool of sin. And the lily cleared his throat and said to the boy, he said, little boy, as you can see, my head is above this mess. My roots go down beneath this mess. Therefore, I'm not a part of the mess. We need to train our children. We need to develop our children in the way that God would have them to go. And then they will get their heads above the mess. They'll get their roots down beneath the mess. And then hopefully they won't be a part of the mess. We've got to ask ourselves a question. Are we parenting our children or are our children parenting us? Are we guiding our children or are our children guiding us? The Bible says foolishness abounds in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from them. We are living in a time where we are babying our children instead of developing our children. We are trying to coddle our children instead of developing our children. We need to teach our children to have a desire to want to serve God. We need to make them put down the phones in the worship unless they're using their phone to pull up the scripture. But they need to put down their iPads and their tablets unless they're using them for the glory of God in the worship. Don't let technology become a distraction, but you need to use it as a tool of edification 
in the worship. And let me tell you something. If we don't teach our children to discipline themselves, to worship God now, they will not be disciplined enough to worship God in the future. I encourage our ushers and our security team to make sure that our children are in the worship. If mom and dad are here, I don't care if it's the second service and they've been here at eight, make sure they have their behinds. I said behinds. That's the opposite of be front. They need to be in the worship. And I guarantee you Monday morning come, if they got a job, they'll be at the job. And they'll be there on time. And that job is not going to help you get to glory. But we have to discipline ourselves to be in worship. And, I, and I'll tell you something else. If you want your sons to be involved in worship, then they need to see daddy involved in worship. Because children are going to observe your mannerisms. And they will bring it back to you and say, daddy, I've never seen you read scripture. I've never seen you pray publicly. I've never seen you preside over the Lord's table. How you going to tell me to do it when you won't do it? Be what you want your children to be. Set the example. Because your child, your son, your daughter is walking in your steps. I never bring home the problems or concerns I have to the church, with the church. I never bring that home to my children. I never bring home my frustrations to my wife. If my wife finds out anything that's negative at this church, y'all tell her. I don't. Because as a man, I'm the head of my home. I don't have to say that to my wife. But the Bible says, wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is also the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ. So let the wives, watch this, be subject unto their husbands in everything. I'm not a dictator in my home. I don't try to boss my wife. And y'all know, Debbie, you couldn't boss if you wanted to. But I try to be a servant leader. And I try to lead my family in the direction God would have it to go. And my wife follows my example. My children follow my example. When my daughter Amber is out of town, I don't have to tell her to find a church of Christ and go to it. She goes because she's following her daddy's example. And I don't think they do it because I'm the preacher. I know I'm not the best preacher in the world. I know every sermon I preach is not going to rock the world. I understand that. 
but I believe that the word of God will not come back void. I don't care if a fool gets up and quote the word of God, if it's God's word and if it's God's truth, it will do exactly what God intends for it to do. Because the grass wither and the flower thereof faded away, but the word of our God endureth forever. And brothers, y'all need to understand something. Fathers and husbands, God has put a great responsibility on us. You remember when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden? God didn't come looking for Eve, even though she is the one who initially sinned. She's the one who initially transgressed and broke God's law. But when God had a reckoning, he came to Adam. The Bible says he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and he said unto Adam, Adam, where are you? Adam said, I was naked, and I hid myself. God said, who told you you were naked? But my point is, he was the husband. And when they sinned, God came to him. Brothers, your home is where God has called you to be the pastor. Your home is your church, and you need to pastor your church. You need to be the priest in your church. You need to be the preacher in your church. You need to lead your home like the preacher and the elders are leading the church. And if your home is not in order, God is not going to come to that wife in the judgment. He's going to come to you and say, why is it that you didn't lead your children? And the well, my children told me they didn't want to go, but did not make you the head? Why is it that your wife didn't go well. I'm not trying to force my wife. Did not make you the head? We got to understand something. The home goes in the direction that we lead it. And then Ephesians 5.25 goes on to say, Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for it. Why? That he might present it unto himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it might be holy and without blemish. And then he goes on to say that men ought to love their wives even as they love themselves. For no man ever yet hate his own flesh but he will nourish it and cherish it even as the Lord, the church. It is our responsibility to lead our families. And let me say this to us as men. If our children are negligent in worship, that's on us. If our home is in chaos, that's on us. If our children are being rebellious and they are under the age of accountability, are still living under our roof, that's on us. I look at this young man, Ryan. He's a long way from home, going to college. His parents must have instilled in him a desire to want to worship. Young man not only worships, but he comes ready to participate 
in the worship. From day one, he says, I want to sing. And he's an excellent praise leader. And I can see him when he's my age and older. He's going to be an old man who takes his sons and his daughters and he's going to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord Church. We have to realize we got a youth ministry, but youth ministry starts at home. Brother, you are the youth minister in your house. It's your job to develop your children. It's your job to make sure they are in the service. I don't have any sons, and maybe God just saw fit for me not to have any, because Lord knows I would be tough. It's tough being a black man trying to grow up, and I'm not trying to uh, denigrate any other ethnicity. I can only speak about my ethnicity because I am what I am. But to have a black man in worship serving God, I hate to say it, but it's very unique nowadays. And ladies, if you can find, if you can get you a BMW, get you one. A black man worshiping, get you one. But God knows if I had a son, he would be right where Ryan and Ray is. He would be on the front row. There's no way in the world. Because even when I was in school, the children that sat on the front row usually got the best. I never sat in the back of the classroom when I was going to school. Because usually the best grades come from the kids that are sitting on the front row. And there are too many distractions when you're sitting in the back. And usually the kids that sit in the back are the ones that do the worst. And all I'm saying is, we need to make sure our sons are front and center. We need to make sure our children are accounted for. And even during worship, we got to ask ourselves sometimes, do you know where your child is? And we need to have locks on all of these doors. You know, children get pregnant in a lot of strange places. Preach, Jerry. And even at church. That's why we lock. That's why our Brother Thomas has the doors locked. That's why we have cameras in the uh, deacons, the finance office, because we can see every crevice and every crack in this building. We are watching you. Even when you don't know, you're being watched. We see your children. And we're very tactful. We're very loving about it. We don't come to you and approach you and tell you your child was doing this or your child was doing, but we see it. And we're concerned about the development of our young people. Church is not about trying to entertain, but it is about edification. Entertainment is a secular concept. Edification is a spiritual concept. Edification is where God, through his word and through the worship, builds us up. Because God wants us to have edification so we can give him glorification. But entertainment is humanistic in its understanding, because entertainment is egocentric. It is about us, 
edification is about God. And when you hear Elder Riley get up and sing those songs, when they make you feel good, that's the spirit of God building up your spirit so that you can give God glory. And we got to understand something. Worship is not what you do when you come to the building. When you come to the building, worship is a continuation of what you've been doing Monday through Saturday. Every day, you should set aside some time to have a devotion with God. You should set aside private time and you should set aside family time. When's the last time you had a family devotion? Where all the family sat around the table, sang a song, said a prayer, read a scripture. See, you have to develop an appetite for your family to want to worship God before you come to church on Sunday. And we cannot do for you on Sunday what you have not been doing all week long. Now, I go to the gym. I may not look like it. But I go to the gym, and, and my daughter, Janae, she, she, wants, she and Daddy, we're going to the gym today. And we go to the gym. And we've made a conscious effort to say we're going to go to the gym at least 40 times for 40 days because I told you number 40 is the number where you change some things. And if you can do something for 40 days straight, you can do it for a lifetime. But my point is, we go to the gym on a regular basis and then we start watching what we eat. Had to cut out the sodas and cut out a few, um, because we are trying to change our, our paradigm about our health. Well, the same thing happens with worship. I challenge you to go 40 days, 40 days, where you have daily devotions privately and then have a daily family devotion where you cut off all your electronic devices, you cut off the television, and you take five to 15 minutes as a family where you pray together, sing a song together, read a scripture together, and then everybody in the family makes a comment about the scripture. Do it for 40 days. I double dare you. I triple dare Make sure everybody that's living in your house do it. And see if it makes a difference. See if it brings about a change. Because when your familiar worship is done on a regular basis, it begins to affect the culture, the, co the corporate worship. And so if we can learn to worship God as a family, if we can be youth ministers in our home, if we can be pastors and preachers in our homes, if we can be deacons in our homes, if we can be faithful church members in our homes, 
if we can be committed members in our home, then we need to bring that over into the church. And the problem we're having is we're trying to get folk to do at church what they don't do at home. And we cannot, and when I get up and preach, when others get up and preach, when, the, when others teach, all that the church does is reinforce what is already in you. Nothing in equals nothing out. And we can't put in you what you don't have in you. You've got to be willing to come to the service instead of saying what you gonna give us. You ought to be saying what can we bring. Amen. President Kennedy said a long time ago, don't ask what your country can do for you. What you need to ask is what can you do for your country? And if you will, I like to borrow that and say, quit asking what the church can do for you. And you need to come to church and say, what can I do for the church? Quit asking what can Christ do for you. Start asking, what am I doing for Christ? And when you get in the habit of doing that, Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, the Bible says, train your children in the way, train them when they get up, train them when they walk in, put the scriptures before them on a regular basis. What you should do, you should take the monthly core value and you should put it on a placard in your home and let it become the theme for your monthly devotions. You should take the lessons and let the lessons become the theme for your monthly devotions. And you should quote the core value in your family devotions. You should get every member to quote it with you, to read it with you. Until, and if we get in the habit of doing that, we'll quit gossiping, we'll quit hating on one another, We'll quit backbiting against one another. We'll start allowing the Spirit of God to incarcate and fill our spirits. And we'll be so full of his word and so full of his spirit that I can guarantee you on Sunday morning, you will have a holy anxiousness about coming to church because you'll be so full of God's word and so full of God's spirit that church won't come fast enough for you. But it only comes because when I'm training up my child, I'm also training up myself. Because when I challenge my child to grow up, it challenges me to grow up. If I challenge my child to follow Jesus, I'm challenging myself to follow Jesus. If I'm challenging my child to be more involved, it challenges me to be more involved. If, it, if I'm challenging my child to be more faithful, it challenges me to be more faithful.
I know that's not the sermon for this morning. But God placed that on my heart because it concerns me. The things that we allow the enemy to cause us to minor in. And we miss what God is doing. And we'll look around from a, 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 a secular, a worldly perspective, and we'll think God's not doing anything. Did God wake you up this morning? Were you in your right mind? Did God send you on your way? Do you have a roof over your head? Did you have food on your table? Did you have a car that at least had a half a tank of gas in it? Did you get here safely? Do you have clothes on your back, food on your table? Don't you tell me my God is not able. And we miss the blessings of God because the enemy wants us to focus on the negative instead of focusing on the positive. So I challenge us. I challenge us. 40 days family devotion. 40 days personal devotion. And I guarantee you, and you don't just have to limit it to invite some friends to your family. See, when you start having devotions, and we talk about evangelism, we talk about saving souls. Just like it takes a whole village to raise a child, it takes a whole church to save a soul. We put too much emphasis on what the preacher does as if I can get up behind this holy rostrum and preach a lesson and make somebody come to Jesus. First of all, I've never saved any soul. It's the gospel that has the power to save souls. When a person first walks in that door, how you treat them plays a part in a decision to be a part of this church. Where you sit, do you sit next to visitors? Do you have a smile on your face? Do you share your songbook and your Bible with them? Or do you get upset because they're sitting in your spot? Your attitude determines their altitude. And then when I get up here and preach, you should be saying, here's where he's coming from. Here's the scripture he's talking about. You should be helping me preach by sharing the word with them during the service. Not texting your buddies on your technical device. Not whispering and talking during the worship. Not chewing gum and checking your Instagram account or your Twitter account or your Facebook account or checking your... You should be trying to help me lead somebody to Jesus because it takes a whole church to save one soul. Sherry was baptized, not because of Jerry's preaching. It was probably minor. But she was coming to Wednesday morning Bible class on a regular basis. And the first time I saw her, the comments she was making, I was like, what church are you a member of? I knew she wasn't Church of Christ. But I knew she was searching because she had a thirst and a love for God. And then I started talking 
what Sister Rankins, our Sister Rankins, you got, she said, I got it. Because Sherry had a heart that was open. And the Wednesday morning Bible class hugged her, embraced her, let her know that we, we enjoyed her being. Nobody made her feel like she was out of place. That whole class played a part in bringing her to Jesus. And then Sister Rankin called me on last Monday and said, she's ready. Now, there's no pool. There's no water in the pool because it's going to be under uh, maintenance. But I know some of y'all got swimming pools. And, we can, and if somebody ready to come to Jesus, just like Sherry, she didn't let anything stand in the way. She got here and there was no water. She didn't get discouraged. And Brother Adams took her over to Fort Sam. And Nate dipped her like the book says. And now here she is. You know why? Because the whole church played a part in her development. If we got 100 people in here and each one of you all made up in your mind that you're going to bring one soul to Christ this year, we would double our number overnight. Evangelism ministry is with the whole church. Want the church to grow? Let me ask you a question. Who have you led to Jesus? Hmm? I take credit for the five we baptized this year. How many have you brought? Hmm? We get about 200 in the second service. So let's say we got about 250 people in this church. Can you imagine if every baptized adult just led one soul to Christ. Just one. This year, just one. We have 500 people in this church. When you criticize, you advertise. When you say we're not growing, when you point the finger, you got three pointing back at you. So the question is, who have you led to Jesus. God has used me. I done baptized thousands of folk under my ministry. And when we first got here, we done baptized hundreds. I know we in a developmental process now because of the transition we're going through. But my question is, who, I'm done y'all. Come on up song leader. Who has come to Jesus because of you? But let me ask you another question. Who has left the church? I ain't talking about them folk who left for the wrong. I'm talking about who. About, see, that's why you got to be careful what you say to folk and how you say it to folk. Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, if you insult one of these little ones, you might as well tie a millstone about your neck and be cast into the deepest part of the sea, because if through my backbiting and negativity and criticizing leadership, criticizing membership, I run off folk, God is going to hold me accountable. I'll preach my sermon the next service. But I think we need to understand something. God is moving, and God is getting ready to, to, to do some things. 
And you got and people think, well, we're we having a breakdown. Well, a breakdown is a precursor to a breakthrough. Yeah, things gotta break down. Sometimes you gotta have a breakup before you can have a breakthrough. And so now, maybe there's somebody who understands that this is all about Jesus. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he won't depart from it. My children couldn't go to sleep in church. Debbie wouldn't let them. To this day, Amber say, boy, mama used to spank me. I, had to, I whipped both of my daughters one good time. And they remember, only time I ever whipped them, never had to touch them again. Because they said, I don't ever want that man. And to this day, my daughter Amber remembers the day I beat the devil out of her. She was about nine years old, seven, and I never had to put my hands on that child ever. I gave Janae one good whipping. She was going upstairs, and I told her to do something. She got attitude. When I got through with her, Amber said, I'm glad it was her, not me. Never had to put my hands on my baby again because they remember that. But they remember I love them more than they remember I disciplined them. Church, let's grow up. And let's walk in our maturity. And let's walk in our new self-discipline. And let's not devour one another and destroy one another and consume one another. Galatians 5 verse 15. Let's build one another up. And let's take this world for Jesus. And if you need the Lord right now, you know, if you don't know him, baptism is available. If we have to, we'll go to Brother Haygood's swimming pool. He got a nice one. <laughs> if you need to be baptized. And if you need prayer, we want you to come. God is getting ready to do something here. We're getting ready to meet with a finance company. We're praying that can handle this for us. We're going to get our fellowship hall done. We're going to get a whole lot of things done around here, and we're going to move. We're going to move. Y'all quit letting the enemy call you up and tell you to leave Dale Crest and go somewhere else. You need to be committed and dedicated to Dale Crest. We need to know that you are a Crestian. We need to know that you are committed to the vision, to the mission, and the purpose of this church. And if you are, this is where you should give us your time, your talent, and your treasures. And so be committed. And if you need prayer, as Brother Riley leads us in a song of encouragement, come as together we stand and as we sing. Why don't you ask the Savior to come? First strengthen and keep you, my Jesus is with.